And everybody, welcome to the... Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Yes, friends, this is a brand new episode of the Pie Factory Podcast. Once again, from Morris, Illinois, this is Big Stupid. And uh, once again, from Chicago, Illinois... This is Sean. Actually, you know what? This week I'm gonna be I'm gonna be Barf Burger. Barf. Didn't uh, somebody suggested a new a name for you this last uh, last episode? Wasn't it Shawnee Badfinger? Yeah, we already talked about that. That was Phil the No Swear Gamer. He already got to name me once. You know, let's let some time go by. So today I'm Barf Burger, inspired by that stupid little like "What does your name mean?" thing that's been going around Facebook. Ah. <sighs> Somebody figured out, it wasn't that hard to figure out, that pretty much there were only, like, two combinations per gender. So just to prove to the world that it doesn't mean that your name means little flower, because, you know, I put in barf burger, and it tried to translate that from Arabic or something, but uh, I'm a loyal gentleman. That's what barf burger means. You put in pie factory as all one word, and it split it up as pie Yeah, it, only, it doesn't take spaces. <laughs> So this is the Pyfe Actory podcast, I suppose. Then it's actually Pyfactory. So anyway, welcome to episode fourteen of Valiant Warrior. So once again, just uh, should we talk about the, uh, the last episode, the contest, or you know what? Let's do this. Let's release the theme for the last episode. And then we'll announce the winner of the contest at the end of the episode. How's that sound? Okay, so for our very last episode, what is the theme going to be before Pie Factory signs off for good? <laughs> our very... L- oh, you mean the last episode the previous, we actually recorded so on far. Pie Factory. Oh, okay. Yes. Previously on Pie Factory. Uh, both Donkey Kong Jr. and Gyrus use the same tune from Bach. It's just that uh, Gyrus uses the whole piece, whereas... Donkey Kong Jr. just oh uses the opening couple measures from it. And another difference that I was going to use for, as a, a tiebreaker, but nobody who entered the contest... By the way, everybody who entered did say that that was the theme, and they were correct, so congratulations all yes. who entered. Now, what I wanted to use as a tiebreaker before you decided on a hat was if anybody noticed that if in Donkey Kong Jr. Now, by the way, the name of the piece is Takata and Fugue in D minor. Ooh. And Donkey Kong Jr., which I think everybody said that, too. I believe they did, yes. In Donkey Kong Jr., it's actually played in a lower key, so technically it's C minor. So I, I was hoping somebody would point that out. Nobody pointed that out. I'm surprised, even though he didn't enter the contest, I'm surprised Chris Plus Plus didn't pick up on that because he's a bit of a music guy. He did correctly guess. He's he's like, hey guys, I don't want to be, I don't want to enter the contest, but is this the theme? Is it? Yeah, that's it. You know. At that point, uh, there was the theme for the last episode. So, woohoo! And there was much rejoicing, and they were forced to eat Robin's minstrels. So, do you have any addenda or irata? <laughs> Um, hmm. I don't think we know. We mentioned this uh, in episode 13, but the sound in Gyrus is in stereo. Ah, yes, it is. 
And it, it, you play that in MAME with headphones on, oh, or if gosh. you're actually at an arcade you play machine, that, it sounds so cool. Yeah, that game's music, that game's sound kicks ass, and it's so easy to create a game that's got great graphics or great sound, and the game sucks, but what uh, Gyrus, I mean, that is, well, that is one of the most complete video gaming experiences, if you will, I think. And uh, hence why I rated it a 5, because, I mean, it had excellent graphics, the gameplay was awesome, and then the music just kind of put it over the top and in stereo i my headphones spit the dust so i'm wearing earbuds right now but uh you hit, listen to that in stereo man holy shnikes and the amazing thing is with with gyrus on all of the home ports of the game they pretty much recreated the music uh very well actually even the 2600 had the, the music from uh, gyrus was pretty good i haven't played that yet and the fun and the crazy thing is Whoever wins the contest is getting it. And I had that cartridge right here at Pie Factory headquarters. I actually t- I tested it, but I didn't really play it that much. So it's like, man, I should just keep this for myself, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, you can always fire it up in Stella. Or my Harmony cart. Or your Harmony cart. But as much as I loved Firefox and, and some of the other games that we've done in Xevious, the more I think about Gyrus, the more and more I'm li- I love the game more than Xevious. And Xevious was my all-time favorite arcade game up till now. And the- Oh, dude. I have an addendum. Well, maybe an addendum. I don't know if you'd call it that. Yeah. But of the who cares variety, mm-hmm. yet another going back to Firefox since you brought up Firefox. Something I noticed just yesterday, actually. You know, where I work, we do a website for a uh, very well-known international like place that you know, we do their e-commerce website where you can order stuff online. And we had a sample point-of-sale system in my boss's office. And on the screen, it was uh, the point of system runs Windows XP, and it has the default, you know, cloudy background thing. Mm-hmm. And our company's logo was in front of it, and it was a blue font and everything. I thought for a second I was looking at the at the uh, Firefox intro screen. I was like, "Whoa!" Yes, that is definitely a Pete Townsend cares um, experience that you have there. I see what you did there, and man, that's going to be uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of related to episode fifteen in in a way that I'm not going to get into right now until we actually do episode fifteen. Uh, Hyde's going to have fun with that. Oh yeah. So. Is there any more addenda or errata? Not really a whole lot for the last episode, I don't think. No, I don't think anybody listens anymore, so nobody corrected us. Well, they don't listen any less either. Well, I don't know. That might be debatable. Was there any, uh, did we have any emails or anything uh, worth mentioning? We had we had a couple of comments on Atari Age. And Oh, yes. Th- there was a conversation that we uh, absentmindedly kind of passed over in our... Uh, in our inboxes, yeah. First of all, um, apologies to Vector Gamer. He sent this message this message on yes. August 11th, and uh, it's almost a month later. I didn't respond to him until today, and it's September 1st. Yeah, I didn't respond to him until I think oh, it was last man. week. I feel so yeah. stupid. Uh, we, apologies we, we, we all were, around. We weren't ignoring anybody. Um, and he was saying, have you seen my walkthrough video of the Pennsylvania Coin-Op Hall of Fame? Place is incredible, and their collection rivals ACAM at Fun Spot. Uh, arcade. I, I, a, a, I don't know what that's. It's different. like American something arcade music. Something like or that. Something. 
It would be cool if you guys could mention this place in a future episode and link to my video so that we can spread the word. I would say if you guys get out to replay FX in Pittsburgh next year, plan some time at the Pennsylvania Coin Op Hall of Fame. I was thinking there, I was there only, <laughs> I was only there for about three hours and that wasn't nearly enough time to get in on all the games I wanted to play. I'm thinking of traveling out there for an overnight stay so I can have two full days of gaming there. And uh, we will link to the video in the show notes. We should also link to the blog too. Oh yes, he's got, he's, he's got a blog post. He uh, he wrote about the place, and uh, I oh, I've been man, shirking yeah. my duties. I haven't actually watched the video or read the blog yet. Oh man, yeah, it's, they they got some pretty. They, I see in the uh, wow, the screenshot yeah. uh, that he, he in the uh, the video that he linked has uh, oh what do they call it the marquee for the old arcade game Death Race based on the movie Death Race two thousand. This was a seventies oh, game, and. Uh, yeah, this looks like yeah, a very, very, very cool, uh, very cool, very uh, cool thing just from this one image. And um, oh, yeah, man. on the twenty fourth, he sent us no comments, nothing, nada. They're like, Ugh. we're like, no, nah, no, nah, nothing. I, Sorry. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I do feel bad about this. Uh, it's a, I don't know what it is, but we just we were absent minded. Um, and he uh, he added in another message in the thread. Place just had their grand opening at the end of May this year. My mind was blown by the rare games that they have. I'm going to try to get back out there in fall and spend a couple of days there. It's a four-hour drive for me, but well worth the trip. Well, let me see. It was about an eight-hour drive from here to Cleveland. It's about another three past Cleveland. So it's a good day's drive from where I live. And I got to drive through the worst of the Chicago traffic on the south shore of Lake Michigan. So probably be about 12 hours, 12, 13, so... But uh, no, seriously, it does sound like a, a sounds like a fun place. And uh, as we said, we will link to the video and the blog. And once again, apologies, apologies to Vector Gamer for our little oversight here. Yeah, it's too bad we didn't know about that uh, before off comma Kong Four because that was happening in Pittsburgh. Ah, indeed. Well, I had- again, this place isn't in Pittsburgh. This is in where Hopewell Township. I don't know where that is in Pennsylvania. I'm not very Pennsylvania literate. Nah, me neither. Actually, not entirely. I mean, I could get my way around. I do collect maps for a hobby. There's a little bit more conversation on the Pie Factory podcast thread on Atari Age, but uh, you know, it's it's basically it's a lot of back and forth, a lot of back a lot of forth. back and forth, and a lot of talk about uh, about Gyrus and Donkey Kong Junior. And uh, one of the people in the thread uh, <laughs> mentioned the uh, the thing that the games have in common without actually saying that. Um, and there was a well, that whole. That was fine because he didn't say it was the theme. No, so, he didn't because you know. we could have come up with something very, very uh, esoteric, if you will. I like that word. And um, he, but uh, he did mention it. Um, and uh, who was it? It was Soul Blazer. Oh yeah, that's right, Soul Blazer yeah. from the Sneeze podcast. Super uh, NES. Podcast, Super NES, yeah. not the Sneeze. And uh, mm-hmm. they do a good job over there. And I got to complain about something because I. I don't know about anyone else, but I've been having trouble with Stitcher lately. It's not updating the podcasts, and last week, week before last, it actually regressed. It took the new podcasts off the list, and the podcasts that were before it, that I had already listened to, were marked as having not been listened to. And I don't know what the hell was going on with that. So, I had to... Well, I didn't have to re-listen to them, but I was kind of pissed off because there was a new uh, SNES podcast up there that I was going to listen to. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to get to it for an hour or so, and then I get back to my phone, and it's gone. And it just showed up today. I think it's been out for about a week. So, yeah, hmm. Stitcher. I'm going to a different podcast catcher for my 
freaking phone. So, Not that we're biting the hand that feeds us. Oh, no, no, of course not. (laughs) Uh, Then again, we haven't made a cent from them. No, we haven't. Um, There is one thing I I, want to mention. I don't know if you call this news or what, but more of a clarification about Mm -hmm. this guy right here. I heard mentioned on a recent episode of the Atari 7800 Game by Game podcast, uh, uh, Phil had said that I know everything about Pac-Man. Uh-oh. And um, one of my Facebook friends like posted a, uh, he's, he's like, hey, look at this math question my kid got in his homework. And, I, and he's like, what the heck is this all about? And I was able to figure it out. <laughs> and he's like, hey, way to go. No wonder you're so good at Pac-Man. I was like, no, 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 no. Let me put let me get the record straight. I suck at Pac-Man. And I don't know everything about Pac-Man either. I just, I'm just a big fan. I want to know everything. I want to I want to do better. You're better at Turbo Ms. Pac-Man. Pac-Man. Yeah, Turbo Ms. Pac-Man, Turbo Junior Pac-Man. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure I could pretty much smoke anybody listening to this with your own wrapping papers. Yep. That's oh. right. <laughs> yeah, let's smoke some Ms. Pac-Man. Whoa, man. Whoa, dancing fruit, man. But, um, yeah, I, I'm just a big fan. I mean, if you want to learn more about, Pac- like, really, really, really deep stuff into Pac-Man, I know there was a link in a prior episode's show notes, uh, the Pac-Man dossier. It was the episode when we covered Ms. Pac-Man. Whoever runs that site, I forgot the gentleman's name, but it gets really deep into things. I linked to that in the show notes because I had talked about how in pretty much all the games that Pac-Man uh, had a unauthorized spinoff mm-hmm. of, including Ms. Pac-Man and Junior Pac-Man and Pac-Man itself, there are times when Pac-Man can pass right through a ghost and not be chomped. Right. And that site has a, has a whole section on that and explains why it happens and actually has like pixel by pixel diagrams of what needs to happen in order for that to happen. Oh, wow. It's like I cool. I don't know that stuff. I don't know any patterns. You know, I, your your blog, your pre, it's pretty much just it's stuff that you do know, but mo- it's a lot of stuff that you are in the process of learning and finding yeah. out too. So I mean, yeah, I came up with like mini Pac-Mans for uh, Ms. Pac-Man, especially high-speed Ms. Pac-Man that really don't do anything more but position you right by the tunnel when the first dancing prize comes out. That's the best I can do. Everything else, I pretty much wing it. And I just want to add here. Um, if uh, on Atari Age, uh, we do have, as I said, as we keep saying, we do. there is a Pie Factory podcast page in the gaming publications and websites section of the Atari Age forums. There's also a, uh, a thread, two worthy video game podcasts, where we get mentioned in there uh, a bit as well. So uh, you might want to look in there, too, if you want to have some more Pie Factory stuff. Uh, and here's uh, some, you can learn about other cool podcasts, too. Yeah, oh god, there's a lot of podcasts. It's like and, and there, there's really so many video game podcasts and so many good ones and and even the ones that I don't listen to consistently uh because I just I mean, maybe don't not a huge fan of the format or whatever. Uh just are still extremely well done. Absolutely. Um, and uh like there's uh You know what? I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus because I was thinking of a podcast, but I really, I really, really like it. It's just it's not a game by game type podcast, and uh, it's more of a kind of a news magazine ish in a way, I guess. I don't know, but uh, I don't listen to it all the time because it's not always a topic that I'm interested in. But it's still an excellent podcast and really well done. But I'm not going to throw them under the bus. So everybody listening will now be trying to figure out what podcast is that. You're just going to find out. (laughs) Is it? 
Was it me who betrayed your podcast? <laughs> what thou doest, doest quickly. So, wow, we're getting into religion too. Holy shnikes. So, uh, I think that is about all I got, uh, other than uh, uh, Ferg saying that uh, he's flattered that I came up with the back in the Ferg thing. That is going to be on my gravestone when I die, which, given the way things are going around here, will probably be within the next 24 to 48 hours. And, um, you can't afford are. a gravestone. Yeah, it'll be a pauper's grave. There you go. Maybe I'll just have my ashes spread all over Cindy Lauper's grave. That might be interesting. Of course, mm. she's still alive. Or is she? Wow. By the way, did you hear what Phil said about the Ferg effect? That's like when he does a, a game on his show that the prices for said game go through the roof on eBay or something like that. Isn't that what it is? Yeah, and he recently came up with a second Ferg effect. Oh, yeah. What the hell was that? It was you starting the whole back in the Ferg thing. Because he's oh, saying yes. that now how all the other podcasts are very are conscious saying, about saying, you know, the forbidden phrase. Mm-hmm. We have no problem saying Mr. Do, though. No. <laughs> Mr. Do, 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 you want to uh, uh, pick a name from the hat? Yeah, sure. We might as well do that now. Um, all right. I've got all of them here. Attention, this is the contest right now. And by the way, something that uh, only happened today is that whoever wins this contest is getting an Atari 2600 conversion of every arcade game that has been a topic of our episode up until this moment that had an Atari 2600 conversion in the United States. They're not getting the prototype Robotron for the 2600, though. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, they're not getting clacks either, because that was PAL only. Uh, and we didn't even talk about Robotron. Oh, no, we didn't, did we? No. Oh, we'll have to save that for a future nightmare. Yeah, anything from episodes 1 through 13 that was an episode topic that has an Atari 2600 conversion in this country, that is in the prize package. Oh, we already have an idea for a theme for Robotron. It's kind of a lame theme, but it's a theme nonetheless. A theme. So. We can always come up with more. That's true. So, alrighty, they're all shaken, and they're put in my hat, as far as you know. And I shook them up, and I just pulled one. Shall we see who it is? Let's. Yeah, well, it'd be kind of hard for everyone else to see. Paul, can I get some contest name-pulling music, please? Ha, <laughs> ha, here comes the contest, and we're gonna pull a name. <laughs> and the winner is... John Sturgis! <laughs> oh, wrong show. So, yay, John Sturgis, you are the winner, so I'm going to keep that name right here so I don't lose it. Your winner! Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, I remember we were talking about how we had to work that into the show somehow. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you got to see... Do we have a multi-handled loving cup, too, that we can send them? Hmm, multi-handled... I've got multi-love handles, but I don't know about a multi-handled loving cup. That'd be kind of creepy to send just your love handles. Yes, but I'd feel so much... Uh, <laughs> there was an episode of South Park the other day. Butters, did you give yourself liposuction? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that show. All right. So, congratulations, John Sturgis. John Sturgis, your winner. Yes, your winner, and we will 
not meet you at the motorcycle rally that bears your name, which is in South Dakota, because quite frankly, that's pointless. So, yes, John Sturgis of who from wherever you are, uh, we will contact you, get you all of your vitals or victuals, as they say in the Old Testament, because that's for vittles. We'll get your stats and your email address and your home address, so we'll come and stock you. We will we will send the, the Atari, the games, and everything you need, with the exception of the one cable that you'll need to plug it into the TV, but those are a dime a dozen. Well, no, well not really. two, actually. Oh, we're going to send them two you of need those? At least, yeah, you need at least two. You need one for the video and at least one for the audio. They're two audio ports. Remember, oh. this is a modded. This is a oh. modded console. Oh, it's a stereo modded console. Is it? I don't know if it plays back in stereo, but you know. The, well, at least it's, it's got two speakers. Ste- it's speakers? got. It's got two. Oh yes, I'll they call it the streak. Oh. If you wanna, if you wanna hear stuff out of both your speakers on the TV, you can. One thing I noticed when I was testing this to make sure that it worked and everything, is that the audio ports are a little bit too close together. So unless if you have like. If uh, John, if you have RCA cables that have like a lot of thick plastic around the metal, you won't be able to plug all three in. You'll just be able to plug in like the video and one audio. I'm sure I have a billion of these things laying around home. I could just toss a couple in there. That pretty much everybody's got a bazillion of those things. Yeah, yeah. So, all righty, cool. Once again, congratulations, John Sturgis. We'll probably tell you congratulations quite a few times through the podcast because we have nothing better to say. So, with that. Uh, I think we are pretty much done with Adenda Errata and news and contest stuff. So Contest stuff, yeah. Sh- contest. Actually, we should make it sound German. Contest stuff. Yeah. So that's it. So I think we should we move on. We are done with the, con- the contest. We are done with the contest. <laughs> so. so, give me a needle and thread. So, Mr. Hosty Man, what should we do now? First, I think we should soil ourselves. Then I think we should regroup and, and come up with another plan. With that, uh, we got two games we're going to talk about, which is a big surprise because that is the the whole reason for the show is to talk about two different games and see if we can't find a theme to join them together. Mm. Yay! And uh, we got two games today, which should be quite hard for people to really find out the connection. And when I found out the connection between these two games, I was quite surprised because I never knew the situation happened. But we will get to that at a later time, within about an hour or so. And so I think what we'll do is we will talk about, we started with a Konami, no, we finished with a Konami game last time, so let's start with a non-Konami game this time. Let's talk about Dragon's Lair. Dragon's Lair, yes. Um, this game, what it is. What it is. What it is, what it was, and what it shall be. Uh, it's pretty much the grandfather of the Laserdisc game. Uh, there is some kind of controversy as to whether what was first. Was it this or Astron Belt? I don't know which one was which. Astron Belt was more like a Firefox game where it used the uh, pretty much used the, the the Laserdisc as a background then you control the computer's computer-generated item on the foreground. Which, that's a game we need to talk about at some point in the future. But Dragon's Lair was pretty much like a full cartoon. The console had your joystick and a, and a button near your start buttons. The scoring was, for the game was on some LCD digits on the console, or not on the co- well, on the cabinet, if I remember correctly. Every arcade I've ever seen this in had a second monitor attached to the top so people could see what's going on. And you were Dirk the Daring, and you had to make, through, make it through several scenes to get to Singe the Dragon to save Princess Daphne from Singe. And... I hate this game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was innovative for its time. 
uh, because you're you're literally playing a cartoon and not any cartoon. You're playing uh, Don Bluth, who in the 70s and 80s was one of the preeminent um, animators. Uh, I believe he did... I, I keep getting his catalog and Ralph Bakshi's catalog confused because they both did a lot of really good stuff. Did he do The Secret of Nim? Yes, he did. Score one. And I believe he actually worked for Disney as well on uh, several of their uh, animated features. This is a Disney animator we're talking about here. So you can imagine the detail in the cartoon and the animation just being outstanding. And the animation is outstanding in every way. And so is the audio. It's just there's no gameplay. Oh, by the way, Don Bluth is going to have a birthday shortly after the time this episode comes out. Oh, really? What's his birthday? September 13th. Hey, two days after mine. Woohoo! Go to happy birthday. Of course, he's probably quite a bit older and richer than I am. But, um... Oh, dude. Uh-oh. Yeah, he's definitely older than you. He's from El Paso. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> anyway. I think the master approves of that. But the thing with, with this game is there's no freedom of movement. With the controller, at certain points in the game, you have to move your joystick in a specific direction to advance the storyline it's not so much a game as it is more like one of those choose your own adventure novels yes if you think about it that way to me there's like no replay value I've, i must have only played it uh, like 10 times uh i think i've played the 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 follow-up uh, space ace quite a few more times than this but it was it was still kind of a nothing I mean, every, you'll be playing along and then every now and then maybe you'll see something flash you got to move your joystick toward that or you'll see something you got to jump on. You move your joystick toward that, or something like a hand will come out. You gotta, gotta hit your button to use your sword. And they do offer you some hints. Like I said, sometimes like a doorway or a table or something will flash indicating you have to go there. But a lot of times you got to kind of figure out on your own what to do. The game's not very good because, <laughs> as I said, it's not a game. It's a choose-your-own-adventure cartoon sort of thing, and it's. I don't know. I, I, I really wanted to like this game, but this is easily one of the worst games I've ever played because it's no. There's no game there. There is no gameplay. If you think back to episode nine when we spoke with Scott Lambert at Underground Retrocade, he pretty much said that the reason that most people, or at least I think what he said was that he thinks the reason that most people would want to play Dragon's Lair is to see it through to the end. And he said, "Well, mm-hmm. you just go to YouTube and do that." And that's kind of how I approached this episode. To this day, I have yet to play Dragon's Lair in any possible way. Partly because it's very difficult to emulate. Not so much because of technical reasons, but because the game is still apparently being published in some sort of way. And the ROMs and the the, uh, Laserdisc files, you won't find them in download sites. You can buy the DVD, and I think that's you out can. on Blu-ray now. And oh, you can really? use your DVD controller or Blu-ray controller or whatever to kind of emulate the the joystick and button on the game. And it's, it's the same thing, but it has the added thing if you can actually just watch the thing, you know, all the way through to the end. And that's well, yeah. kind of kind of pointless to me. Yeah, and that's the thing you have to have the you actually have to have the DVD in order to emulate this. And I love our listeners, but. I'm not going to go and buy a freaking DVD just to emulate a 12-minute game for one episode of Pie Factory Podcast. Yeah, I mean, you, you say 12-minute game. 
that's roughly how long it is if you go to uh, YouTube and, and uh, all the videos of the complete walkthroughs. They're about 12 to 15 minutes. Yeah, and you, you say that, and I'm thinking to myself, that's not a lot of gameplay, but then I thought back to something I said just a minute ago, there's no gameplay at all. That's that's very true, and I remember when this was out. I mean, this was at Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall, and yeah, I remember Everyone the double had, monitor. Everywhere, every yeah. arcade had this game. Yeah, and in fact, not only, yeah, I saw a lot of games with dual monitors, like they hacked up a second monitor so people could mm-hmm. like see what was going on in the more popular games, but... I never wanted to play this, partly because I, I was cents? thinking that's a big part of it. Yeah, to this day, in fact, that's one thing I liked about uh, about Ground K O N T R O L in Portland is that the games are only one quarter, except for the pinball machines. I liked that. Major Tom. To this day, thirty you know thirty three years, thirty two years after Dragon's Lair was released, but the other thing is like you're playing a cartoon. When I was a little kid, in fact, to this day, those aren't the kind of cartoons I liked. I didn't like those, no. you know, adventure, medieval kind of things. I liked the wacky things. I watched Bugs Tom Bunny. and Jerry. Yeah, exactly. Those are my cartoons. You know, not these things that, you know, the the cooler kids in fourth grade, as they thought they were, would watch. They, you know, they'd watch that and, what, Mighty Orbots was another one they were into and the He-Man cartoons. Did we talk about the arcade game Roadrunner yet? Not yet. I so want to talk about that. That's a great Yeah, we need game. to add that to the list, because that, that game's got some interesting history. Yes, it does. And, yeah. and uh, I don't want to get into it here, but it does tie into what we're talking about in a way. I agree with you. I wasn't into all of those different... Give me something silly and wacky. Disney yes. Disney cartoons were kind of more, you know, for you know, the, the girls. I mean, with the princesses and all that. I'm not saying that is a hard, fast rule, but that's generally what I, you know, notice. And then you got the... Uh, the, the Bugs Bunny and the the Daffy Duck and, and all of those things, which were, were more of a, you know, if you like the Three Stooges, you like Looney Tunes. Yes, you know? good way to put it. Uh, you know, you're really, really hardcore, like Dungeons and Dragons player were all into the fantasy type thing, and that was what it was aimed toward, mostly. And moving on from how bad I think this game is, you, you can already <laughs> tell how many continues I'm going to rate this. But the one thing that always struck me is, as I said there, earlier, there is an LCD on the uh, on the cabinet, which tabulates the score. How do you figure out the scoring for this game? I don't know. How do you do that? I, it, it would seem to me that if you do everything correctly, the only way you can get to the end is to do everything 100% correctly. And by yeah. the time that you've got everything done correctly, you can only end the game on the same score. That's the only way I can think of it. That's what I would think, but uh, you know, if you look up the high scores on like Twin Galaxies and Orcade.com, that's not the case at all. Really? Usually we don't do this until we're almost done discussing the game, but uh, case in point, I'm just going to talk about the high scores right now. There are two different settings for this game. You could have three lives, you could have five lives. I didn't know that until we did this show. Huh, interesting. Uh, Arcade.com only tracks uh, three lives, but they track two different versions of the arcade game. They track the original Cinematronics version from 1983 with a Laserdisc, Mm -hmm. which, judging from uh, my research, even that had different models. They they were different in that there were several different models of Laserdisc players in each of those machines. Hmm. It's like you might have two Dragon's Layers right next to each other. They might have different Laserdisc players inside them. That would make sense to me. I mean, the more moving parts, the more to go wrong. Models, you know? Yeah. 
So, um, let's see. Steve Wesson, on October 11th, 2014, scored 399,609. He's got that certain Wessonality. Yes, he does, and he got that Wessonality at Grinker's Grand Palace in Eagle, Idaho, during the second annual Arcade Outsiders Tournament. Wow, there's an arcade you don't hear about. Yeah, that might be interesting to check out. My, my wife was talking about possibly going out to Idaho sometime for some r- little road trip. But, uh, Ooh, Idaho. So I might have to check that out. They, they also, there's also a beagle-shaped hotel somewhere in that state. Huh. Um, anyway, the other version that Orcade tracks is, I believe, the one that they have at Galloping Ghost uh, uh, here in our area at, in uh, uh, Brookfield, Illinois. Uh, the Digital Leisure 2010 arcade cabinet with a ps3 inside i did not know that they made one of those interesting david cruz who uh, this was at galloping ghost he scored four hundred and twenty-five thousand four hundred and eighty-one on march 31st 2014 that goes to show you that it's not uniform scoring for every single time i guess there are certain moves you can make and other other you know what it does occur to me though that if you get through a sequence twice and you fail it two times That'll move you on to the next sequence. So I'm wondering if the higher scores involve purposely failing on a screen mm. a couple of times. And ah, point on, pressing. On like a higher, yeah, point pressing. Leaching. Um, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that might have something to do with it. Because it seems to me, if there's a consistent scoring mechanism, that if you played it all the way through, boom, you would have the same score. Because there's only one sequence you could do things, unless, as I said, you skillfully lose a life at a at uh, a proper spot then you replay it score up enough i wondered how it works i would imagine you get like a bonus for completing a sequence though that i don't would know be interesting. does anybody know what that what the, what the deal with that is because i'm very curious on this now yeah by the way twin galaxies they track it by number of lives they only have one variation of the actual game just different lives three lives greg r Sakundiak. Scored 374,954 on July 20th, 1985. See, that's one interesting difference between Twin Galaxies and Orcade.com. Twin Galaxies, they go back a long way. They go back a long way, so we have a lot of old records on that that still haven't been officially beaten, according to them. On a Five Lives track, Judd Boone scored 558,724 on Halloween of 1983. I'm not going to go out and say that it's a bad game. It, it just plain old saying it's a bad game because think back. This was 1983 when this game True. came out. But I think the big attraction toward it wasn't the gameplay; it was the graphics and and the sound and everything. You're you're playing a cartoon that was it was a novelty at the time. And you hit the nail on the head. It was a novelty, and it brought people into the arcade. It was like. During the the video game crash, which it did affect the arcades, not as much as the home, and it sort of rebounded the arcades in a way. And then, of course, then you had the Mortal Kombat crap coming through and all that after that. But something I've I've observed when watching the videos, because again, I didn't actually play the game; I couldn't play the game. When watching the playthroughs, a lot of the animations seem very kind of jumpy. Not the animation, but I think like going from scene to scene, there are sudden unexpected cut scenes sudden cutaways depending on how, apparently how you move yeah because that it's, would uh, completely throw me off yeah what happens with that is it's searching from one track to another that's what i figured yeah that that's what it does if you don't see a cut like that then you're doing the correct sequence this correct sequence of moves so it's, it's actually playing straight through it's just when you make a wrong move 
this is the way I, I remember it. I could be wrong, and I probably am. But if you do a wrong move, then it's going to give you that black screen for just a split second and then move on to the to the death scene or whatever. Um, it had a pretty good death sequence, I have to say, though, uh, when your character died. And he, Dirk the Daring, just his... His flesh just kind of melted off of his bones, and then all the and then his skeleton just kind of crumbled to the ground. That was pretty cool. That's about the only cool thing about the game. But again, that's the the graphics there. It's not the gameplay. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, let's talk. You want to talk about the different uh, ports of this game now? Or yes, I do actually. Okay. Uh, one thing I do want to say is uh, Dragon's Lair actually did have uh, its own Saturday morning cartoon show. Uh, Ruby Spears production. It only lasted, I believe, one season. And uh, I liked, I actually kind of liked the cartoon because it had, it kind of played into the theme of the game by uh, showing what would happen if Dirk would have taken this action versus this other action. Dirk would have died if he did this, or he would have died if he did this, but this is what he did. (laughs) You know, and kind of survived. Kind of like the end of Clue the movie in a way. I still have to watch that. That's a pretty good movie. It's not great, but it's entertaining. You could find worse ways to waste your time. There was quite a few ports to 16-bit computers where it was actually scene for scene exactly like the arcade. They had to really compress the uh, the image data onto floppy disks, and these games had so many floppy disks from way back when, Ferg. <laughs> so uh, sometimes they actually had to split the game into two games. Like uh, I believe there was a, there was Dragon's Lair, and I believe there was a second Dragon's Lair game, say like on the Atari ST computer, which was the scenes that they couldn't get in from the first game, because otherwise you'd be oh. having like twenty floppy disks. You'd have to be you know swapping out in and out. And uh, they did the same thing. I didn't own the Dragon's Lair. I did own the Space Ace, but uh, I know with Space Ace they did that Space Ace, as I said, a similar kind of game, but. There are other versions of this game for the home uh, for home systems. If you haven't seen it, check out the Angry Video Game Nerds video for Dragon's Lair for the NES. Yes. I, oh God, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta watch that one again. But I remember that being a great episode. There's like too many ways to die in that game. Yeah, I just, seriously. I mean, give it a little bit of a wait, but still, it is absolutely worth watching the video. You know, Jim's talking about how bad the arcade game is. The NES version isn't any better. I mean, first of all, it, it's impossible to put all these animations into a single cartridge. So it's more like an 8-bit reanimation, and it's more of a side-by-side platform. Now, yeah. the thing about those so many ways to die, basically, you're given a life meter. But anything you touch will kill you right away, instantly, yeah. except for the bat. A bat flies around. If it hits you, you get like a little tiny sliver taken off your life meter. But if anything else touches you, including if you try to enter when the drawbridge is up, like you walk into the wall, you die. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa. What I really want to talk about when, with home versions, though, is the... And I don't see it mentioned anywhere here, but I had it. Uh, it was actually released. Some people say on the Commodore 64. I don't remember that one. The game was actually released on the ColecoVision. Uh, Coleco had the home rights to Dragon's Lair at the time, and there were rumors that they were going to create a Laserdisc add-on for the ColecoVision game system so you could play the game, but that never materialized, so they did what I thought was pretty clever. They did a version of Dragon's Lair where half of it is like different mini-games, and the other half of the of the game 
8-bit pixel recreations of scenes from the arcade. And I liked it because it gave you more to do. There's uh, one screen where you're uh, on a platform that just keeps falling, and you got full rain over the whole platform. Uh, you got clouds trying to blow you off, and then you got to you know, jump from the main platform to a door just to access the next scene. And then you would go to, say, like the armory scene from the, from the arcade game. It would play exactly like it, but because of the nature of the game, you don't feel like you were just doing one of those choose-your-own-adventure things because there are actually action sequences. There was another sequence uh, where the, there's burning ropes in the arcade where you just got to reach over at the right time. This one's a little hard, but you, there is more timing to it. But you do, as a, again, you have more freedom on the screen. Uh, there's one where you got to defeat the Black Knight. Look, you stupid bastard, you've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look, it's just a flesh wound. And then they turned the, the Black Knight sequence into an action game. And the end sequence where you're trying to save Daphne from Singe the Dragon, they turned into an action scene. Uh, there was a there was a scene where you're in a hallway with uh, skeletons and skulls trying to get you. That was played just like the arcade. Uh, there was another one just like the arcade. I can't remember. So it would be like choose your own adventure followed by action. Choose your own adventure action. Choose your own adventure action. And they really did a good job on it. And it was very very amazing. Uh, I believe now you can actually play that on a ColecoVision if you have. The what was it? The uh, the quote unquote super game module that I believe Opcode Games created, and uh, they were able to fit it all on a cartridge so that you can play that on a ColecoVision with this added uh, new hardware, which I'd like to get, but I can't justify buying because my Coleco Atom just ain't kind of working. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, if you get a chance to emulate the Coleco Atom version of Dragon's Lair, by all means do. It is a, it's a, an amazing piece of eight bit programming. It's a heck of a lot better and more forgiving than the NES version. And it's a totally different game. I would imagine that most of those home conversions that aren't basically graphical dumps of the arcade version have to be com- like essentially completely different games. Yeah, and, and because of that, I enjoyed, as I said, I enjoyed the Coleco Adam version a heck of a lot more than the arcade. Uh, it says here it was also released on the uh, Amstrad CPC, Commodore 64, and ZX Spectrum home machines, which I believe those are all 8-bit. I know the 60, Commodore 64, 64 is. definitely 8-bit. I don't remember it yeah. being on the 64. I really don't. Uh, I, I, I think sure I remember it, was, it being released on floppy disk for that, and I think I remember hearing somebody say it was just like the Coleco Adam version. So... If you find it, check it out. It's really good. And there's also Dragon's Lair 30th Anniversary available for iOS and probably other uh, smartphone and tablet things. I did see it in the Google Play Store. Dragon's Lair. Oh, here's what I was looking for before. Um, The 16-bit computers, like the Amiga or the Atari ST, there was Dragon's Lair. The scenes they couldn't fit into that were created into its own game called Escape from Singe's Castle. And then Dragon's Lair 2 Time Warp came out. I don't think that uh, was released on the 16-bit computers. Philips CDI, 3DO Interactive, Multiplayer, a Jaguar CD. Only the CDI version was actually released, though. Huh. I think I tried playing Dragon's Lair on my Amiga, but I think it was one of those games in which my Amiga was literally too powerful. That was one thing about Amiga, is that you, your Amiga could literally be too powerful, I have too much memory. You have to actually like put old ROMs in it or kill off the mm-hmm. RAM or something. Because I think Dragon's Lair might have only worked up through uh, Amiga Operating System 1.3, and the earliest I ever had was 2.05. You know, I'm just looking through the, the, the list here of uh, Dragon's Lair games, and 
with the uh, the the nature of the game and the way that, it, as I was mentioning, had to be compiled for different machines, the uh, the sequel numbers are just totally bizarre. Like, and this is just the history. This is the full history. I'm not uh, uh, segregating it by platform. Arcade and home versions are all in one here. So you got Dragon's Lair. Then you've got Escape from Cinch's Castle, which is sometimes known as Dragon's Lair 2. Then you've got uh, Dragon's Lair 2 Time Warp, the arcade game, which is different from Escape from Cinch's Castle. Then you've got Dragon's Lair 3, The Curse of Mordad, which was for the Amiga and DOS, released in 93, mixing original footage with scenes from Time Warp that were not included in the PC version of Time Warp. Then you got Dragon's Lair 3D, Return to the Lair. And then in 2005, Digital Leaser created a new Dragon's Lair 3, which utilized 3D footage for Dragon's Lair 3D, but controlled via a system like the original arcade games. How is that not that, <laughs> that whole so sequel thing really bizarre? you can't even talk. Like, really That's how confusing it gets. I know. I can't talk. And as far as uh, my personal score on this, honestly... I don't ever remember. Without the score thing being on the screen in front of me rather than on a little LCD thing. If I'm playing pinball, then yes, it's fine to have yeah. the, the score on your LCD thing. If I'm playing a video game, quote-unquote, then I want that bitch on the screen. I don't want go. to have to look. Even with Firefox, they found a way to superimpose the score on the uh, on the screen with uh, computer graphics. I think they did fix that with uh, Dragon's Lair Time Warp. Uh, I'd have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that they did it to where you had the uh, the score on the screen. Which I want to talk about a confusing game, Dragon's Lair Two Time Warp. I just watched the video of that. Holy crap! I don't know how anybody could get can solve that one, but I've seen it happen. But I think that's all I got to say about uh, Dragon's Lair. So, how many continues do you rate this game? Is zero a option? Um, I believe we set the range at one through five. So okay. if you're going to say I'll zero, rate it, it has a one. to be one. Okay. You know what? I'll rate it a one because it was innovative. But as as far as it being a game, there's no gameplay. It's this this game. I hate this. I, I dislike this game more than I dislike Mortal Kombat, and that's saying wow. something. Wow. I'm surprised because you had mentioned interest in covering this game like multiple times. I thought, ooh, you must really like this game, but I guess no, not. I don't like. No, yeah, I, I wanted I I wanted to cover this game because I just wanted to get it off my chest and say what I really feel about it. Sure, but you know one thing we got to keep in mind is that these games we talk about the the newest game we've talked about is from what nineteen ninety maybe so far. These Something are like old that, games, yeah. especially That's Dragon's. True. This is nineteen eighty three, so I'm kind of looking back in, in in retrospect here, as opposed to any other way to look in retrospect, but. Um, for what it was, uh, this was a graphical marvel. That's a that's you know, kind of borrowing a phrase True. from you when we talked about Firefox. It was it was innovative, but at the same time, it was a novelty. Innovative for 1983 or whatever it was released. Dragon's Lair 2 Time Warp was released in 1991. Wow, the technology had advanced by then, but it was pretty much the same thing in the same package. Yeah. Now, I did hear that the reason it didn't get released right away was because of some financial difficulty with the company. But still, 91, we wanted more out of our games by then, and the dry, and the uh, the Laserdisc thing was pretty much gone by then. You didn't need it at that point. You had Mortal Kombat, yeah, right. where they digitally imaged people onto the screen, which offered the player control there over you the go. characters. Keeping in mind that on one hand, yeah, it was unique for its time. It was a, it was a, Well, part of the fault of this game is that it's a novelty. But you know, considering mm-hmm. that, that you know, it's like you said, it's not very playable. And even like the longest lasting game is probably about fifteen minutes, and that you got to put two quarters in to play it. At least uh, when games were typically one quarter, one token, whatever, it cost you twice as much. 
keep in mind, when I was a mm-hmm. child at this time, I had a dollar allowance at the arcade. I wasn't going to blow half my allowance on one freaking game. One thing I have to say about Dragon's Lair, I haven't found the story anywhere, but I remember hearing it way back in the Ferg, that there was this kid that was blind. He played the game, and every time he played it, he could complete the game without losing a life. He listened for the audio clues. Uh-huh. There was a scene where where Dirk the Daring has to get past these uh, these balls <laughs> that are spinning, and he would listen to the game, and he realized that after Dirk the Daring breathed three times, that that was when to hit you know the the go forward, and he would run past it. So that was pretty cool. You just answered a question I asked no quarter. Do you know of any games that someone without sight other than the running only events of track and field? Dragon's Lair. And there's the answer, Dragon's Lair. I'd imagine you could probably do Space Ace. There's not a whole lot of interaction. That's the thing. It's it's a novel. Yeah. Basically. But but and again, considering that hey, two quarters, that's it's a lot of a lot of money for you know, get Yeah. I mean I don't care. You tell a nine year old, well, you know what, there's a laser disc inside Nine-year-old doesn't care what's running. Nine-year-old just wants to play it. But all things considered... Oh, by the way, here's another uh, little interesting bit of trivia. It's currently only one of three video games in storage at the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. The other two are Pong and Pac-Man. All things considered, you know, that it's, it's just a novelty, that it costs twice as much to play as any other game. Game only lasts 15 minutes if you are playing it perfectly. I can't rate this higher than a 2. I rate it higher than a 1 for what it was at the time. For how innovative it and was. That's, 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 and I respect that. But I have to rate it on how fun it was. And to me, it just wasn't fun. Yeah, and Don Bluth, we don't mean anything against you. I mean, the, the illustrations are fantastic. Don Bluth's part of this game is amazing. And it is actually very worth finding on YouTube Dragon's Lair and watching it because, as I said, the animation is stellar. So Don Bluth deserves all the accolades. It's just the interactivity isn't there. Yeah. So with that, I think we should move on. All right, let's pilot ourselves onto something else this time. Ziggy, as Steve Tui would say. So let's talk about, how about Time Pilot? Oh, how about Time Pilot? Uh, all about time pilot. And you know what's Alrighty. interesting? In, in retrospect, I realized last week we didn't talk about where we first played the games that we played last week. I'm going to be flat out honest. I really don't remember. Oh, I don't remember. That's, that's a good point. And for uh, this for this week, I, I remember last week's Donkey Kong Junior was at the Putt Putt Golf Games on Essington Road in Joliet, Illinois. I'm pretty sure Donkey and Kong Junior for me was the Kroger and Bourbon A on uh, Route 45. And Gyrus was the Aladdin's Castle on the campus of Northern Illinois University. Uh, I was in high school at the time. We were there for a choir contest. Uh, we had time to spare, so we found the Aladdin's Castle, and we had fun in the arcade. And there's a couple of games I never played. I played for the first time there, and a couple of them I never actually ever saw in the arcade again. So it'll be interesting to talk about some of those in the future. But Anyway, anyway, Jairus, uh, yeah, I think I, pl- I, I don't know if I ever played it in the arcade uh, back in the Ferg, but I definitely remember playing it at Galloping Ghost and uh, Underground Retrocade, and I'm sure I maimed it a lot before then. Anyway, uh, Time Pilot. Oh, by the way, you, you did finally play the game with the audio, oh, yeah. I'm oh, assuming, yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, okay. Oh, that's right, because you mentioned about, about the playing stereo. the game in stereo, yeah. Yeah, that and uh, Dragon's Lair, I've never played, so there. Well, you're not missing much. But. No. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
Oh, which, by the way, I played Dragon's Lair for the first time at the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. So, I forgot about that. All right, let's move on to Time Pilot now. So, uh, in Time Pilot, you're a pilot, and you're piloting through time. Simple it up. Good night, everybody. Good night. (laughs) uh, you're, You're basically piloting through five different eras, if you will. 1910, 1940, 1970, 1982, and 2001. So, yeah, this is the... Can we call this the back of the Ferg pilot? Because this is all in the past now. Oh, and this is interesting, because uh, it says 1982, but uh, apparently there were two different versions of the game. I have was not aware of this. There was a Konami version, and where the Konami version, the year was in 1982, and the Centauri version, you were in 1983. Fascinating. I bet you those two were released in different years, and that's why. Or it could just be one of those deals where the game was only released in certain sections of the world. But at any rate, um, so yes, your uh, your airplane is in the middle of the screen, and you can move. You got a standard joystick, and to move your ship, just it, it's constant. The background's constantly moving. There's no thrust or whatever. It's moving at a constant pace. It's just moving in the direction whichever your ship is pointing. Use the joystick to point whichever direction you want to go. Then you got a fire button in which you shoot everything. All of your enemies, in 1910, you have the biplanes. Oh, for each level, you have to destroy 56 enemy aircraft. Once you've defeated 56 enemy aircraft, then there is, quote-unquote, a boss that comes out. In 1910, your normal enemy are biplanes, and the boss is a blimp. 1940, monoplanes, and the boss is a B-25. 1970, it's helicopters, kind of a Vietnam thing happening there, and the boss is a large blue CH-46. 1982 um, are just jets with a B-52 bomber, and uh, uh, Hyde might want to get the B-52 bomber from the IntelliVoice module for that. B-17 bomber. Oh, is it B-17? He might just want to play Love Shack then. Then again, he might not. Uh, so yeah, B-52 bomber that you have to destroy. And in 2001, uh, you're battling UFOs and then one big Mama Jama UFO, which that might actually be what it's called. I don't know. All of your enemies can shoot just stray bullets, which you can't do anything about, or missiles of different types. Uh, in the first level, they're they're pretty much dumb. They shoot them, and then they just fall to the bottom of the screen. But as you advance through the stages, they start tracking you. The boss at the end of each level is destroyed with seven direct hits. And then once again, after you've completed all of the levels, they start over again at a higher level of difficulty. A couple of things to remember. Uh, you have, every now and then, you'll see a parachutist fly by. If you can pick him up, you get some bonus points for that. And then every now and then, you'll hear a sound. And when you hear this sound, it means that there's a formation of enemies coming out. And if you can destroy them, I believe they go. there is three, four, and five per formation. It depends on what kind of formation decides to send your way. If you destroy all of the planes in that formation, you get some bonus points. I don't believe you have to destroy them all in a row. I think you can, as long as they're all on the screen and you destroy every one of them, then you get the bonus points. I'll have to double check that. Whenever I say I have to double check something on this show, I never double check it. So I don't know why I bother saying that. But anyway. anyway. So so there we go. Um I kind of like this. I, I I like this game. I never liked it when it first came out because I was I just could not get past the first level. But uh, years back, I got the version of this game that was on the uh, the Konami arcade pack, whatever it was for the Game Boy Advance, and I started playing it and uh, actually got pretty good at it. Uh, I believe there was an extra level on the, the uh, Konami thing for the Game Boy Advance. I have to double check that. 
one thing I like about this game is if you keep firing, you can really like shower the screen with your shots. It isn't like some games where you only get like one or two shots on the screen at a time. Then this game, with as fast as you can push that button, it seems like you can just litter the, the screen with your shots. It doesn't mean you're not going to die because uh, the uh, your enemy airplanes in this game or your enemy UFOs, they're pretty dang maneuverable. So you're going to eventually crash into one of those or maybe one of their... Uh, one of the bullets or missiles or something, but you can litter that screen with your shots. Uh, something that the home versions of this game don't do, which I th- thought was very, very interesting. I like the the pseudo-parallax scrolling in this uh, this game. The clouds in the background move at different rates. And um, it isn't the musical tour de force uh, that Gyrus was by a long shot. I mean, these were the same companies, but I mean, for the standard type of arcade game at the time, the sound and music was pretty good. Pretty colorful for a, a war game, I guess. And um, there's a lot of variety in the the enemies. Uh, I could see where some people might think this game gets repetitive, but I think there's just enough difficulty progression, uh, learning curve, whatever you want to call it, difficulty curve in this game to keep the game interesting as you go on. Yeah, so uh, what do you think about it? Um, I don't have a lot of thoughts about it, to be honest with you, quite simply, because I never really played it a lot, but I will tell you this, from what I have played, my thoughts are pretty positive. I really like the game. I really do. I really don't remember seeing it out in the wild when it was first out, to the point when I saw Time Pilot and under- Underground Retrocade when I started going there. Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize the name. The title of it didn't really turn me on, so I was like, yeah, whatever. Until I saw a rerun of Starcade Night and I recognized the screen. I was like, oh, that that's Time Pilot. Okay, and I remember that Starcade episode. And I remember really liking what I saw. So I went back and I played it, sucked at it, um, so much that I didn't even bother having any of my scores officiated <laughs> for arcade.com. But, you know, going back and playing it for this episode, it's it's a quite simply, it's a very enjoyable game. In fact, um, in my notes here, yeah, I actually have notes this time. <laughs> written ahead of time, I wrote Robotron meets Sinistar. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Because mm-hmm. you're picking up, you know, you're shooting things, you're picking up other things. And the reason I said Sinistar is simply because you're flying around and the way the joystick control works is kind of uh, interesting. I mean, I'm so used to the asteroid style yes. of movement mm-hmm. where you move to the right, move to the, move to the left, and it rotates or something. Not really here. If you move... If you hold down the joystick, it go to the left, for example, it goes all the way left. You know, if you hold it down to the left for a short time, it only goes 90 degrees to the left. Last week, we were talking about Gyrus and how I said, I wonder how the game would play with a spinner controller. Is I wonder the same thing with this game, too, because it pretty much has mm. a similar control thing. Because you're not actually moving in a direct, you're not moving the ship, you're just telling it which direction to point. So I'm wondering that is true. what would happen if you put, the, in place of the joystick, if you put a dial or a spinner on that, somebody who's a little more handy than I am could take a look at that. Because I'm wondering if that would increase your scores and probably make it a lot more uh, maneuverable, so you'd probably have to uh, dial up the difficulty a bit, which not hard to do with any of these old machines, just flip a couple of dip switches inside. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's gyrosy in a way, in, in that way, uh, in, in the control scheme. It's just that gyrus, you're on the outside of the circle. Time pilot, if you think about it, you're on the inside of the circle shooting out. Yeah. I mean, and it's not perspective-based or anything, but you could sort of think of them sort of in that sort of way, I guess. And I don't quite know how to explain it, but I think this is pretty common to a lot of Konami games. But 
there's something very relaxing about the explosions when you shoot the enemies. Oh, when you shoot them, yeah. The, uh, the, the sound effects like Gyrus are, are, are um, effective, but they're understated, but they're effective. I mean, they're, they're not... Um, with the exception, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Gyrus. I'm talking Time Pilot. No, I know, but I'm saying they, that's that's something that they share in common. Is the explosions uh, when you one of your enemies blows up, the explosions are understated but satisfying. Now, when you get blown up, I mean, you know, you hear about it <laughs> in no uncertain terms. Something I did notice that was similar to Gyrus as well is that just like how I mentioned about this in Gyrus. Is that there is a delayed reaction when you're when you lose a ship in uh, time pilot? Except it's not quite as delayed as it is in Gyrus. It's more like half a second. It doesn't like make you, it doesn't have, fake you out, make you I think you survived. I played the game just before we went uh, we went on air here, which I also got the highest score ever achieved on this game in my life, by the way. And I didn't really notice that. Oh, one thing I did neglect to mention is in the stages in in uh, some of the stages after the first one. Uh, you'll get like uh, an additional bomber or or helicopter or something that you have to destroy, which is not the boss. It's a different color than the uh, the boss, but it's uh, the the machines are the the airplanes are pretty much the same shape. Uh, that those only take a couple of shots to destroy, and you get some bonus points. But you keep you know playing the uh, you just keep playing on that screen until you get to the uh, the boss guy. Yeah, fun game. Um, you got your highest score ever on this, so did I, and sadly, my highest score on this is only in the 20,000s. Oh, boy, you're going to hate me. My highest score, which I re- which I achieved just moments before we uh, recorded, 106,300. Wow. Wow, that's good. No, I don't hate you at all. And, here's, and, and the whole reason that, you know, I suck at it, but I really, really like it. In fact, I'm just going to write out right now, say that I give it four continues, and it's, it has a possibility of five. But... I still want to play it again and again, and every time I play it, I get better. Yeah. Every time I play it, it I get You know better. what? Gyrus is the same way, too. It's almost like, I, I know that they were programmed by different people, but they're part of the same company, but they have sure. similar feels in a way, if you think about it. I mean, they don't, obviously, Time Pilot doesn't have the, the awesome music and all that, but there's a similar feel to, the, to each of the games, if you get beyond the... Uh, uh, the control seat screen, I mean, they... Uh, screen. The control scheme... The difficulty ramps up at a nice pace, and uh, you can easily, yeah, as you're saying, you can easily do better on this. They did have uh, several home ports of this. Um, the MSX, which I believe uh, I've never played before. Uh, the ColecoVision and Coleco also released it for the Atari 2600. The 2600 version was lauded as being a pretty decent game, and it was, it's okay. I uh, never had that. I do have the ColecoVision version, uh, which, like once again, my Coleco Adam is not working. The problem I had with the 2600 and the ColecoVision version, every pretty much every other version of this game that came out after it was just an emulation of the of the arcade game. So I mean, it was pretty much the same. Uh, but the problem I had with the the ports to the 2600 and the ColecoVision. And before we go on here, I'm gonna. It's something I've been thinking of. We need to have an episode. We were talking about doing an episode of the show where we talk tell people about how to get emulators set up on their machines so that they can play these games at home. We need to make it. Dis- we need to probably define some terms. For example, as I said, this game is ported to the Atari Twenty Six Hundred ColecoVision. Every other version of modern console, more modern consoles, are emulated. A port means that they had to recreate the code from scratch 
for that particular platform, like the Atari 2600 or the ColecoVision. An emulated game means it's using the actual arcade code, but they had to recreate uh, a software version, say, of all of the processors that the machine had to use. They, they had to, well, a software version of the, of the platform uh, on whatever platform they were, just so it could run the native code. That's why emulated versions of, the, of, uh, of these games will generally have all of the same bugs and nuances and whatever that the arcade did versus the ports, which might have their own interesting bugs and nuances. So I just want to get that out there. Yeah. Uh, and just to clarify, a port doesn't necessarily mean it was recreated from scratch. Usually it is. But if it has the same hardware, usually means they can literally take the same source code move it over to the next machine and recompile it specifically for that machine. That's true. Emulate means they don't do anything where they just take the code and just make some hardware that'll run it, period. You know. Or, you know, as I said, re- re- uh, create a, make, create make a software f- version of the, the processors that the arcade yeah. machine had. Yeah, it's like when, yeah. you, when you emulate something, you're basically telling the machine to pretend it's a different machine. Bingo, that's the best way of putting it. But yeah. the thing I don't like about the home versions, the, uh, the 2600 and ColecoVision version, is as I mentioned before, you could pepper the screen with your shots. You could have a bazillion shots on the screen if bazillion is a real number. Not so much on the 2600 and the ColecoVision version. I mean, you can only have, due to obviously due to the limitations of the machines, you know, X number of shots, but it's just not satisfying. Uh, but I have to say, I think I like the 2600 version better than the ColecoVision because it boils down to the controllers. The Atari 2600 just has that button, you just boom, 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 you just keep firing. The ColecoVision has the side buttons, which you hit with your thumb, which is just such a pain in the ass. Those, the, the second generation of, uh, of consoles, the ColecoVision, the, 20, or the, the Atari 5200, and the Intellivision, just the controllers just all sucked, all, all three of those, those consoles. I don't know how they got away with it. Yeah, I was expecting more from Atari for their controller because it actually that, their controller looked like it was going to be the best of them, but it turns out it's probably the worst of them. I'm still not a huge fan of the 2600 version, which you were mentioning before about the controlling how you're used to the asteroids, the left button and the right button to rotate your ship. Uh, one of the positive things that the 2600 did, uh, I read in a review back in the Ferg, which was weird because the arcade game was like, this is like, they just they said, it just felt satisfying to be able to point your ship in the direction in which it needs to go instead of having the left and rotate left and rotate right buttons. I didn't even know there was a 2600 version until about a few hours before we started recording. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I have to be I, honest. I knew there was a 2600 version. I played it a, a couple of days ago. I had played it in Stella, another emulator. I've, I've played it off and on. It's I mean, it's good for a port for the 2600, but it's not something Especially that Especially for a Coleco port? Okay, Coleco, I think, gets an undeserved <laughs> bad rap for their 2600 ports because they have some really excellent ports of games on the 2600. Uh, Smurf Rescue is a great port of the ColecoVision version. Uh, Mousetrap is really an amazing port just because of the uh, the complex way that the arcade Yeah, we game, talked about the, uh, the, fire, the fire button. button. Yeah. Yeah. There was a prototype, an unreleased prototype for Cabbage Patch Kids Adventure in the Park for the Atari 2600, which is really well done, if not incredibly difficult, but it's a prototype, so I'm willing to cut him some slack on that. Mr. Do is actually fairly okay on the 2600. It's not terrible. Uh, in fact, I would say I would say that the only really bad games Coleco made for the 2600 are Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. Zaxxon's not great. Zaxxon falls into that middle area, but if you pretend it's not Zaxxon, it's a fun game. 
Right. You're saying you're rating that you would rate this game for possibly five continues. I'd give it a four. Uh, it's a solid four. I might have to go into another gameplay fit again, and if I do that, I could easily easily bump this up. But this is just this is just a good game. This is just an overall solid one. It really one. is. And they did have a sequel to this game, uh, Time Pilot '84, which I didn't like that game. And uh, I know we're not talking about that one, but. It's like you got the, your ship and you're just going around like the surface of a, of a planet and the control's the same or your ship is in the middle. But it just totally got rid of the time element, the traveling through time, which I thought was intriguing. Yeah, I was going to say, why would they call it Time Pilot 84 when you're going th- the previous Time Pilot goes further ahead than that? And then on top of it, you're, it doesn't even go through time. It's just because it was released in 84, I guess, but... It was. I just did not like it, and it's. I played it like a handful of times, and I'm like, yeah, this is nowhere near as fun as the original. I remember the first place I played Time Pilot. That was at the. I don't remember if it was a Chuck E. Cheese, but or a Showbiz Pizza back then. But it was on the at the one on Jefferson Street in Joliet, Illinois, right next to the Kmart. That was a Showbiz Pizza. I think it turned into a Chuck E. Cheese because when I moved to Joliet, I think it was yeah, Showbiz when. when uh, when I played this. Uh, it would have had to have been actually thinking about it. Yeah, I moved to Joliet in 1986, and I noticed, I was like, oh, wow, they have a showbiz here, because where I came from before that, they didn't have places like showbiz. Yeah, and then eventually uh, showbiz was bought out by Chuck E. Cheese, then they closed that, yeah. moved it all the way out by the Louis Joliet Mall, where it is today, where people can play deal or no deal for crappy price tickets. Oh, I got to tell you something really creepy about Chuck E. Cheese that my boss told me some many years ago. But uh, anyway, so uh, should we talk about uh, record scores on this? Let's. Okay. I was able to pull out some scores from Orcade.com and Twin Galaxies. <laughs> oh, scores. Never mind. Scores. Yeah. Both agree, but they both have the same record for tournament settings, which I guess means that uh, you're only allowed a certain number of lives and uh, you can't just keep getting bonus left or bonus after bonus. Mr. Kelly R. Fluin, or Fleewin, I don't know how to pronounce his name, sorry. R. Uh, Kelly? Kelly uh, uh, no, Kelly R. Oh, Kelly R. not R. Kelly. With 1,092,800 scored on November 19th, 2005. It would have been funny if it was R. Kelly, because this is a game about being a pilot, and pilots can fly. Sure. Yeah, let's go with that. Kelly R. scored 1,092,800 at Fun Spot, November 19th, yes. 2005. Oh man! Oh man! Oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry to make a big deal about this, but according to arcade.com and just the straight-ahead points setting, which I guess is another word for marathon, meaning that you're not limited on the number of bonus lives you can get. Uh, Underground Retrocade, according to arcade.com, the world record for this setting was set by Mr. George String, who scored a million six thousand three, a million six hundred thirty-three thousand two hundred points. September 28th, 2012. Isn't he that country and western singer, George Strain? Or... Oh, wait a minute. No, so. I'm thinking yeah. of someone else. No. But yeah, the reason this stuck out to me is because for the longest time, probably about two years, I was trying time after time after time to take down his Ms. Pac-Man turbo score. <laughs> and I finally did it by... I, he got he got something like 551,000. I beat him with 760,000. I was like, yes! But no, seriously though... He's got a lot of high scores, and these are games that require a lot of endurance. So really, my hat goes off to George Strain. Congratulations, George. But yeah, what's interesting about this is he performed that score during 
I guess this was a tournament, Underground Retrocade versus Galloping Ghost Arcade. Oh, wow, that sounds so cool. That, yeah, yeah, and, and the thing is, like, before anybody gets the idea, is, like, those of you who don't, who aren't familiar with these arcades, like, you're not from the Chicago area, like, the owners of those arcades are actually very good friends, and they help each other out a lot, so, uh, you know, Doc and uh, Scott are both, they're, they're good friends. And, it's uh, friendly competition, if you will. Yeah, I one, yeah, once I refer I, I was talking to Scott and I said, Well, your competition he's like, They're not our competition. They're if anything, they're our sister arcade, I think he said. <laughs> but um Twin Galaxies agrees with the arcade with the Kelly oh, now you got me doing it. <laughs> and uh according Eel. to Twin Galaxies, the marathon record was scored on September twenty fifth, nineteen eighty five. Fifteen million points by Jeff Peters. That's what we have to say about uh, high scores uh, on the record for Time Pilot. So, in other words, Dragon's Lair, thumbs down. Time Pilot, thumbs up. Yeah, I, I think we're pretty much done here. So, and once again, congratulations to John Sturgis. Yay! For winning the contest. We will be in touch with you so that we can send you your junk. Oh, I'm sorry, not junk. This is good stuff. Very actually. good stuff. I say junk. Well, junk is a, is a Midwestern way of saying stuff. Well... But so, some of this this does include uh, Donkey Kong Jr. for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. So some of it is junk. Which, as I said to me, is kind of like the Ed Wood of video games. It's bad, but it's enjoyable in its own weird way. He tempered in God's domain. I think I'm the only one that thinks that. <laughs> uh, should we mention what we're going to talk about uh, next episode? Because we f- we forgot to do that last time, and I had I had, I had to call up Hyde and say, Hyde, what are we going to do? And he said, Just record me something, and so I did. Hyde said, just record me something, dumbass. Yeah, seriously, I think he really did call me a dumbass. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's lucky he's under contract. But but anyway, uh, yeah, so next week, one of the games we will be talking about is Space Duel. And the other one is... I've totally forgot. Episode. This is going to be episode 15. You would think that we would have covered this game like episode 2 or 1. But no, we wait 15 episodes in. Well, 16 if you count episode zero. Oh, you know what? We didn't release the theme. What these two games had in common, Time Pilot and Dragon's Lair. Oh, for God's sakes, what do they have in common? Fine. Dragon's Lair was released in the United States by Cinematronics. And Time Pilot was released in the United States by Konami or Centuri. Yay, that's the theme. Bye. But in Europe, they were both released by Atari. Oh. And uh, Atari Ireland basically released these all throughout Europe, which I, when I first found out about these, I thought that was fascinating. I knew about the Time Pilot one, because if you go through the main ROM set, there's one that says Atari next to it, which I thought was weird. Uh, I did not know about the Dragon's Lair one until about a year or two ago. So, yes, they were both released in Europe by Atari. So what you're saying is that these are, the theme is basically games that were released in Europe by Atari, but in the United States by different companies. Correctamundo. Wow. So yeah, next week we'll talk about Space Duel, and um, yeah, 15 episodes in, we're finally talking about like the flagship video game of all video games, Pac-Man. Yes. Yes, we are. And this, man, this is one, I think this is going to be one of these episodes where in which once you hear what the theme is, a lot of you are going to be like, oh, for Christ's sakes, really? Yeah. This is going to be an esoteric one, friends. Yeah, it's esoteric, but not not like say the Hunks Pancake House theme we had for episode ten. This is <laughs> the this games is be I first played that, it's in Las Vegas. Yeah, this is going to be something that really, if you think about, you can conclude what the theme is. But anyway, yes. So, all right. Well, once again, 
from Morris, Illinois. This is Big Stupid. I'm Big Stupid to the rescue. Jimmy G. And from Chicago, this is Barfburger. I mean, Sean. Valiant Warrior. Thank you for listening to Valiant Warrior. This is Loyal Gentleman. Sounds like we should be on a D&D podcast, even though I have never played it and have, would have no idea what I'm talking about. But then again, I don't have any idea what I'm talking about with this. But All right. So we'll see you all again in a couple of weeks. And bye-bye. Don't you go change it. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Jim and Sean can be contacted on Facebook via the Pie Factory podcast page, over email at piefactory at fab4it.com, or over Twitter at piefactorypfp. Visit the Pie Factory podcast on the web via Flark at flark.it slash piefactory. I'll tell you what, that kid Sean's not right. Um, should we talk about the Donkey Kong Jr. thing that I found? And what is this? I don't remember how I found this, but I stumbled on this. I don't have a Nintendo Entertainment System, but I found a video of the Nintendo Donkey Kong Jr. Mm -hmm. And when you turn the machine on with the cartridge loaded, like the intro screen, the opening screen, the welcome to Donkey Kong Jr., the music in that screen is very, very close to, if not exactly, the little tune that plays at the end of Nintendo's Popeye on the, the screen in which you catch the notes from Olive Oil. You know what? And I uh, looked at... It was like, oh. I looked at the uh, the video that you had uh, posted of that, and you are correct. That is the same audio. That is incorrect. Isn't that something? That's weird, because we pointed out... So I guess we can addend that. I, I think... I don't remember if I pointed it out on this show, but I, on another podcast I did, but also on the NES for the... Um, for uh, Defender 2, Defender 2, i.e., or I'm sorry, a.k.a. Stargate, uh, between levels, the arcade never had any music, but on the NES it did, and if I recall correctly, it was the music from P- Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! Oh, wow. And I still to this day, I mean, I listened to it, and I, I guess and, and it's, it's not the same. It's very, very similar, though. And to this day, I'm still kind of wondering how they got away with that. There must have been some sort of uh, mix-up at the cartridge-burning plant. So, Yeah, you know, it would be interesting to compile a list of uh, video games that use the same music as other video games, like how the opening theme in Junior Pac-Man is basically the same music as the uh, music that plays between that plays during the junior interstitial in Ms. Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that might be a, so that might be an extension of the the theme between the games, but still, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question with all of the public domain music out there and all the the famous composers. For certain, there's got to be going to be a lot of overlap, but this is the only time where I think it was oh, yeah. it's uh, it was quite obvious that everybody made the connection. They just weren't certain of what the, <laughs> what the music was off the top. Uh, with Time Pilot, they made a big deal out of the music when the game first came out to the arc. Or not Time Pilot, Gyrus. You see, you see, your stupid minds, stupid, stupid. I don't know, but uh, man, if we make fun of that name, can we get sued for for defamation or anything? I don't know. We'd probably get sued by Brooksville Records, who had the all-time great bloopers albums. Uh, uh, oh, jeez. Bless you.